Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Well, this message series is based out of John 15, specifically in verse 5, where Jesus says, this is him talking to his disciples, his last week of his life, and he says some big words that we're trying to figure out how to live into. He says, I am the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the trunk. You're the branches. Those who remain in me, Jesus says, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. So we're asking the question, how do we remain in Jesus? And what we're suggesting throughout this teaching series is that these seven rhythms of the Christian faith Oh, it keeps us in step with Jesus. And we're making observations about um, daily devotions, reading God's word and prayer and serving the community is what we will talk about today. We talked about freedom from strongholds, which is essentially living in openness and confession of what is real in our lives as transformation. Next week, we'll talk about sacrificial generosity. We'll, talk, uh, we'll continue to talk about celebration And um, today, part two of Serve the Community. What we're saying throughout this series is this. This is how we learn. We aren't thinking things in the way that we've been kind of led to believe. We're doing things. So this is how we learn, by doing. Okay, we say this. This is how I've written it out, and I hope it makes sense. What we do forms what we love. And what we love forms who we are, and who we are forms cravings for what we do, which forms what we love, which forms who we are, which forms what we crave. We are creatures of desire. And so what this means is if we want to change, our, if we want to be transformed, we change what we do. That's why the Bible is very application-oriented. Many of Paul's letters in the New Testament are written This is who God is. It's lovely. Therefore, this is how you should live. Walk it out. Because in the walking out is when we are transformed. Because what we do becomes what we love. What we love becomes who we are, becomes what we crave. Oh, yeah. So we'll continue to talk about serving the community this morning. First, we'll talk some about our, some cultural observations. Um, which will help us to see why some of this is challenging for us or maybe really hard. That's what I should say. I heard a speaker say recently that we do not drift towards the things that are good for us. Have you noticed this? You don't just like stumble in. If unchecked, we'll drift into immaturity. Have you noticed that like clicking on the game for a moment can devolve into like a whole bowl of chips and two hours wasted? Or is that just me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of time wasted last night at a game that I will not mention. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Conversely, I've noticed that I don't just stumble out into my yard and start mowing the lawn. How did I start doing this? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm up on the, I'm cleaning the gutters. Man, what happened? 
<laughs> no, it takes intention and focus, right? We don't just drift into these things. I have only been in a kayak once. I know how to use Photoshop. That's, uh, that's what that is. <laughs> Kayaks are great. I have been in a kayak once, but more often I've been in the inner tube. There's, that's a real float in the river, man. That's relaxed. The current is just taking you where you need to go. Kayaks are different than inner tubes. In a tube, I mean, you got like your flippers out, you know, like you're like, you can't really go upstream. You can't steal very well. And mostly you're just at the mercy of the current. But in a kayak, you've got some mobility and dexterity and you can go upstream and you can go downstream. You've seen these guys go. I mean, it's amazing what you can do in a kayak. This morning, we're going to take some time to evaluate the current of our culture. And I'm going to suggest to you that the natural impulse for us is to remain in the inner tube and to let it take us wherever, whoa, wherever it's going to. If we are going to be on this transformational journey with Jesus, we're going to have to get in the kayak. We're going to have to be purposeful and we're going to have to work against some of the flow and the tide of our culture. I think it'll make sense as we make these observations. So, we live in a strange world. Here's the culture observations. Our world is different than it ever has been before. For many reasons, um, these differences make Christ-centered community very difficult, very challenging for us in our Western context. And there's two dynamics that I want to introduce to you that might help us to see where we're at in this challenging world. First of all, we tend to have an outside-in view of the world. Because of media and communication technology, which is all fine stuff, we tend to view the world from the outside-in. And this is how Stephen Covey has put it in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He talks about the circle of concern versus the circle of influence. The circle of concern, the things that we, because we get information all the time, you probably got like a news alert since you've been in here, you know, like on your phone. We are inundated with information and we are drawn by this amazing communication technology that we have to think about things that are very distant from us. War, terrorism, the economy, election, president, Saudi Arabia, hurricane, stock exchange, Supreme Court, tsunami, mega millions. It's up to like 1.6 billion or something. Yeah, you may have seen that. Sears, opiates, Florida, royal family, governor, etc. These are all just words from the last week in the news cycle. And we're drawn to think about these things. And a lot of time and emotional energy is spent knowing about and caring about dynamics, people, and events that are far off. And I think that this is one of the footholds that the enemy has on us. Um because it can feel very productive to care about and give attention to far off dynamics. It can feel very productive. We should care, 
We should care about people in Florida who have endured terrible things. We should care about what is happening in Saudi Arabia right now. It is good to express the compassion of the Lord, to be concerned about the justice of God. That's good. Scripture says that you and I were created in the image and likeness of God. And a part of his image, part of who God is, is he very much cares about justice and oppression. And so it's natural for us to want to care about these things. And we should. That is part of how God has created us. But this is where the enemy is tricky. He wants to take our attention away from the circle of influence, which is much smaller which is a little less exciting oftentimes. This is like your family, your neighborhood, your church community we'll talk about. It doesn't make the headlines. It's not seen. It doesn't often, as often create the emotional upheaval and we should really care about these things right now. It's not as fun. It's not as tantalizing. It's not as titulating. It's a word. <laughs> circle of influence is people and dynamics you can directly affect. The enemy of our soul has a plan to get us distracted. He cannot make you an uncaring person because you're created in the image of God, but he can tempt you to care about the wrong things or too much, not care about the things that are near and important to us. I don't even know what that means. I just, yeah. I can do this, like, yeah, give you a high foot. <laughs> the second dynamic I want us to help, help <laughs> the second dynamic I would like to help us to see is this. Humans living in a Western society live incredibly atomized lives. Um, and I'll explain that here. What I mean is our lives are increasingly lived in distinct, separate, unrelated spheres. And I'm going to explain this. They're incongruent to each other. Okay, and here's why. A couple of thoughts of why. First of all, geography doesn't bind us near as much as it used to. Geography doesn't bind us near as much as it used to. Okay, the Mayflower, one of the first ships to cross the Atlantic and bring um, European colonists over here. Um, many of us are familiar with that uh, account. Had 102 passengers and 30 crew members. And it took them like three months to get across the Atlantic. And that was transportation. The world has changed. To cross the Atlantic at the time was almost as significant as it would be for us to put a colony on Mars. The world has changed, hasn't it? This is only 500 years ago. Today, these are the flights over the US on a given day. Eight million people fly every single day. At any given moment, there are 5,000 airplanes in the air flying over us just in the US. Isn't that crazy? The FAA, the, the FAA says that man-made aircraft at peak times, 30,000 aircraft above our heads. It's crazy. It's really crazy. 
I want us to think about this. This affects how we think about the world, what we implicitly believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world, what we should expect about the world. And this is not bad in and of itself, but there are some liabilities that are hard to see. We're going to point them out. Our daily lives are not often connected. We can live so apart from each other. There will be varying degrees of this. I mean, everybody's story is a little bit different, but I'd like you to follow me. I heard Steve Overman talk about this. He's a pastor in Eugene at a Foursquare church in Eugene. And he referred to that word that I used a minute ago, atomization. And this is um, essentially what this is. Atomization, our lives are lived in separate and distinct parts. We'll explain this more about what I mean. Because of limited time and energy to engage, so we're all finite, we can't engage adequately with all the social spheres that we live in. I'll illustrate this in a moment. Because of that, the interactions we have are small, or we could say shallow, and do not produce relational synergy in our lives. Synergy is when two things that are, have power create more power together. Our relationships are often transactional, simple, not very deep, not very intimate. We are very surfacy in our culture because of how we can spread out and not need each other. In the end, we live full and shallow lives all at once. This is on the handout, and um, please take it home with you and consider this, because the invitations of Jesus are very um, contrary to this dynamic. We're not just going to float into the kind of community that he wants for us. We have to be on a kayak. Okay. So let's um, talk about Jane. Ah, Jane, now we have some Janes in our church. Jane, we're not talking about you, Jane Horsey, you know, or any other Jane. This is just Jane. Okay, so let's talk about her day. She's got a cute car. Isn't that a cute car? That's a great car. That's a cute little car. Okay, so Jane, for starters, she commutes to work. And Jane spends her time interacting with humans who are not from her locale because she commutes there. And perhaps, I didn't illustrate this, but perhaps Jane stops on her way home at the grocery store because that grocery store has better prices or products than the one that is near her house. And the people she buys from aren't connected to her work or where she sleeps at night. And so she has another sphere. Jane's children go to school. And through the school, she talks with her children's teachers who also commute to work. They also commute to there, and so they're meeting from different areas, and there is not necessarily overlap on those relationships. It's very distinct. By the way, these squiggly, mitochondria-looking things <laughs> are supposed to represent all the people that are just within that sphere that aren't related to the other spheres. <laughs> okay. And some of you are like, you're saying spheres, but you drew boxes. <laughs> I realize, yes, I did. So confusing all sorts of geometrical terms right now. <laughs> I get it. Okay. So Jane's at school. After a parent-teacher conference meeting, she drives to the other side of town with her oldest son because that is where his club soccer team meets. 
So the recreation is in somewhere totally distinct. And on Sunday, she travels to church and sees people there that aren't connected to these other significant spheres in her life. It's powerful to think about that and what that does to the human. I would say no wonder Facebook and Instagram are so popular because there's very little real intimacy between humans in our culture, real relationship. And so we connect with each other digitally. And it's like a faux connection. I'd like you to think about the technology that's a part of Jane's life. The car takes her far. The phone empowers her to sophisticated communication along all lines that keep this complex life going. And the infrastructure of our society enables her to live a vast life. On the surface, we might think, wow, look what man has done. But I'd like for us to consider how dangerous it is. Some significantly dangerous dynamics. We are in constant danger of living a full life, but a shallow life. That's every one of us. That is the liability of our culture. Living a full life, but a shallow life, particularly relationally. Elton Trueblood wrote a book called The Predicament of Modern Man. And this quote just stuck out to me. I'm going to read it and then attempt to explain some of what he is getting at. He says, the paradox of failure at the moment of success is by no means a condemnation of technical progress for such progress is morally neutral. This progress, technologically speaking, gives the surgeon his knife. It also gives the gangster his weapon. It's neutral. Our predicament is a commentary not on instruments and instrument makers, but on the human inability to employ both scientific knowledge and technical achievement to bring about the good life and the good society. It says, man is an animal peculiarly, <laughs> I never say that word, <laughs> in need of something to buttress and guide his spiritual life. Without this, the very capacities that make him a little lower than the angels lead to his destruction. The beasts do not need a philosophy or a religion, but man does. So what he's making observation is about how the techniques, the technology of our society are not inherently good when we get better at them, but can often supersede or surpass, blow by our moral capacity to handle them and for them to bring about good in our world. We tend to think as progress is progress. He's suggesting Modern man is in a predicament because his technological progress has surpassed his ability to handle it well. He was writing in 1944 in the middle of World War II. I wonder what he would say now. Because our technological prowess has continued to grow. He saw that the techniques of our society, if not fortified by a spiritual foundation, will be our undoing. 
Since that time in 1944, there have been um, moments of spiritual breakthrough within our culture and around the world. But I'd like to suggest that our culture has set the Christian life up for failure. If not augmented significantly, this will contribute deeply to the shallow trajectory that um, we have been on. I hope you're also understanding that the call of Jesus will mean something because it will be a call away from those impulses, away from the kayak or away from the inner tube and to get on the kayak. But thankfully, God has not left us. The news is good. He's given us hope in the midst of the shabbiness that surrounds us. In a world that declines spiritually, a spiritual person can be formed. You can be formed spiritually in this world that is absolutely opposed in the way that it's constructed. It's opposed to your development. It is often sponsored by the enemy of our souls. But there is hope. There's hope for us. I have never heard anybody regret their commitment to the local church because the local church is the very agent of transformation that God has put on this earth. It is imperfect and it is broken, but the very process of being in deeper and authentic community with one another dedicated to his mission is a major part of the transformational process. And God is calling his people to put into priority the local church again to connect, which is why we love Alpha and we love Rooted, people being connected in vulnerability and authenticity together, forming a fabric and undergirding of his mission here on earth. This is not playing church as normal, folks. Maybe you've got around to that. This isn't life as it has always been. There's a new day and a need for a revolution to take place, and you and I get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of the generation that withstood the impulse of our culture to be individualized and isolated and outside of community, and we can retain the power of the church by connecting with one another in deep Christ-centered commitment and community. That's what God is calling us to. If you're in within here, you can hear my voice. That is what God is calling new hope to. And I believe that expands beyond new hope. That's the calling, the high calling for us in the face of our cultural impulses to withstand the tide, to be on the kayak, to work hard together, to push through and to see the next revolution, the next spiritual revolution take place because we said yes to Jesus. As I said, never heard anybody say, man, I wish I wouldn't have been so involved with church, or I wish I would, yeah, I wouldn't have been. But I've seen many lives dismantled because they lost connection. Danya taught it well last week. She did a great job. (laughs) Yeah, she did. She said, community plus service equals God's transformational process. I love that the mission of Jesus is always bigger than what any one of us can do. We need each other and we need to serve one another in love to make it happen. So today we'll continue to consider this rhythm of serving the community. We'll read just a brief scripture, make some observations about how this affects you and I in light of our cultural context 
and then we'll move on to the next thing that we'll do together. Okay, this is, this is Jesus talking in Matthew 5. And we'll read it, and then we'll make some observations. Matthew 5, it's on the screen there. Beginning of verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. He's looking at these peasants. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He's sitting on a hillside, and he's teaching these masses of people. This is likely... These are likely teachings that he didn't teach just once. Um, they're very hard teachings. If you read through it, you can see like, wow, that's a lot to live up to. And it's like, yeah, Jesus sets the bar really high. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Again, these peasants, these normal people like you and I. What good, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Jesus says, can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Then he says, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Something about our witness that gives glory to God in the world that others can see. Okay, we're just gonna focus on where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus calls you and I, his followers, the salt of the earth. Salt does two things. It both flavors and it preserves. I've noticed that I've crossed 40, I put more salt on my food. Anybody else notice that? Yeah, like my, I don't have as many taste buds or something. So it flavors, like brings it to life. Like, oh, this is good. This is what you are as salt of the world. You bring God's goodness into the world. You carry God's goodness. Secondly, it preserves. I think that's what jerky is, is like salted meat, essentially. I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about, but I think that's pretty much what it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so salt preserves. What we read in the scripture is that we are the preserving agent of God's goodness in the world. Now, what people can experience is God's goodness apart from a Christian. They can see a sunrise and go, wow, that is amazing. They can hear a child laugh and go, oh, the world is good. That's what theologians call passive grace. That means an opportunity to experience, yeah, God's goodness, whether or not you are a Christian. But Jesus says that you and I are the salt of the earth, that we preserve the goodness of God. That the goodness of God, apart from it being carried by you and I, will dissipate on this earth. It has been said that people don't know Jesus until they see you. Jesus said, just as the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you into the world. You are the salt of the earth. You preserve the goodness and the grace of God. You preserve Jesus' name. I want to be a preservative. I want to preserve this. I want my life to be a testament to the fact that I owned up. I am the salt of the earth. And I think you're with me. Somebody say, you go, pastor. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> calm. <laughs> but notice, Jesus says, says, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Hmm. I think we are in danger of losing our flavor if we don't recognize the tide of our culture that is taking us away from Christian, Christ-centered community. Peter Lang, in his commentary on Matthew, he writes this, salt, which is quite pure, cannot lose its savor, but only if it has any foreign admixture, something foreign mixed into it. The same remark applies to our spiritual life. 
You and I are created in God's image and likeness. We cannot, in our intrinsic form, be distorted, but there can be things that are added to us that do not reflect God's goodness. There can be dy dynamics that are put onto us that begin to take us away from God's goodness, and therefore we lose our savoriness, we lose our, lose our saltiness, we use, lose our preservative power. He also, John Lang, records a person who went to Palestine and observed some of the salt that Jesus would have been referring to. This man said, I broke off a piece where the ground was exposed to the rain, the sun, and the air, and found that while it glittered and contained particles of salt, it had wholly lost its peculiar savor because that salt had been exposed to the elements. The elements of our culture are exposing us and our huge vulnerability to us who call ourselves Christ followers and disciples. If we are not committed to community and being known by one another, we will not carry out our mission to preserve the good work of God. We will cease to be salty unless we are in it together. The world is, dis is discipling us already. Everybody's being discipled. It doesn't matter who's discipling you. We are ex being exposed in heavy ways to the ways of the world. Christians are being steeped in the hopes and the methods of the world the animosity of the world, the anger of the world, the angry rhetoric of the world, the divisive polar polarized rhetoric of the world. Listen, if you're listening to anybody that tells you to hate a certain group of people, that is not Christ-centered at all. I don't care whether those people are white or black. It's a racial thing. I hope that's really obvious that that is not Christ-centered. Or if it's a man-woman thing, or if it's a Democrat or Republican thing, none of that attitude is Christ-centered or Christ-like. Do you hear what I'm saying? You need to stop and turn that off. Just turn that off. You're being steeped in the way of the world. If you are convinced that liberals are from hell, there's something wrong with how you're learning. Jesus did not operate that way. He reconciled and he was an ambassador of unity in our world. It's a little bit of an aside, but maybe it was a prophetic thing for somebody in here. We'll lose our savor. My point is not to ask us to run for the hills, <laughs> but to challenge us to recognize the stew that we're swimming in and allow Jesus to call us out of it. I was just reading in Matthew chapter 10, I almost threw out this whole message and just preached this. Oh, Matthew chapter nine, <laughs> that's what I meant. One of the teachers of the religious law, actually Matthew eight, did I say nine? Matthew eight, okay. <laughs> the teachers of the religious law, the ones that knew, said, I will follow you wherever you want to go. But Jesus replied, well, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. You sure you want to come? Another of the disciples said, Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. Jesus told him, this is Jesus. Like, this is not sunshine and roses, Hallmark Jesus. This is like, Jesus told him, okay, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. And I believe what God is calling us to is now, today, to prioritize what he loves 
I think it's really interesting, the very next thing that is recorded in Matthew chapter eight is Jesus being on the boat with the disciples and the storm came up. These guys who had given everything to him and he shows his faithfulness that even when the storm came, that he was Lord over it all. It's in the context of giving it our all to Jesus that he can show that I, he is Lord and able to do exceedingly more than we might ask or imagine. It's on the point of us giving our all to him. And that is what is going to be the seed of revival is the church saying, we're gonna give our all. We're gonna throw ourselves into community. We're gonna make our church the best church that it possibly can be. I'm gonna give it all because he gave it all for me. We're gonna give it all to make sure that this message goes as far as we can possibly broadcast it. We're gonna give it all. We're gonna sacrifice. We're gonna say yes to being in vulnerable, committed relationships with one another because we wanna be set free. We don't wanna be just like what the rest of the world is. We wanna transcend it. We wanna exceed all of what the world says. So people say, there's the city on a hill. There's the hope. There's the light of the world. There's the salt of the earth. I see it in the people of New Hope Foursquare Church. They are Jesus followers. They are in it, to win it. That's what we're doing here. And it will require something from every single one of us, probably something akin to what it cost the early disciples, everything. That's a big proposition to make. That's what makes this more than a religion. It makes it the hope of eternity. Okay, some of that was not scripted. <laughs> so back to serving our community. Every time somebody is ushered, DL, Rich, your usher teams, the mission of Jesus is going forward because people are loved, greeted, the welcome teams, people serving the coffee bar, now, ushers and coffee bars and greeters, those don't get mentioned in the scripture, but our children do. Jesus says, let the children come to me. To our 50 plus volunteers who make our children's ministry happen, you're doing the work of Jesus. And others are gonna join your ranks because we're gonna prioritize what Jesus prioritized, the next generation. This is serving from the inside out, being sure that the hope of the world is cared for before anything else. This will require us getting into the kayak and not just thinking that the lazy river is gonna take us there. Do you like my spin? <laughs> Would you say I'm the dancing queen? <laughs> yeah, 40, not 17, okay. Okay, some application before we move on. Application, number one, in terms of the community, start with the heart of gratitude and thankfulness. When we're thankful, we see more clearly. Like when I say thankful, thank you to the person at the Dollar Tree or Walmart, there's just a glimpse I have. Like they, they've given a lot of their time to do this in a similar way. As we say thank you, start with gratitude for those who serve all around us. Those envelopes that were on your chair that Lainey mentioned, those are opportunities for you to write a note of thanks. 
hand those to the people that you want to say thanks to or drop them off in the baskets on your way out and we'll make sure it gets to those people. <coughs> Secondly, I'd like for you to think about six months from now. How do you want to be more spiritually mature? Think about two years from now. Think about your family. Five years later, what do you need to prioritize so that everyone spiritually matures? What is it you need to prioritize? Allow that to be like challenging. I think most Christians could stand to be a little less comfortable. That's okay. It's part of it. And finally, I'd like you to think about your community, your connections, these atomized spheres that you live in. Map out your various connections on a sheet of paper. What gets the most priority? What can you say no to so you can say yes to the church community? Um, yeah. Those are challenging questions. God will give us grace to be able to walk them out. He just does. That's what he does by his spirit. Yeah. Well, I mentioned four parts to this morning, and now we're at the fourth. An example of somebody who has committed and now a new opportunity. There are many good examples of people in our midst who have chosen the narrow way of Jesus over a lifetime. I get to pray with many of those people on Tuesday mornings. We have a prayer team that meets, and many of those have been at this Jesus thing for a long time. And each time, I'm struck with admiration for their long-term dedication to Jesus and his church. When we keep choosing Jesus in the local church, we begin to ask better questions about what our life is up our life is for. A family practice doctor by training and lots of experience, Andrea Larson, has been committed to Jesus and to this church for well over 20 years. After being slowed by a debilitating disease over 10 years, God miraculously healed her. A supernatural healing. If you haven't heard the story, ask Andrea about it. She'd be glad to tell you. God healed her, and she began to ask, with this new life and health, what do I do with the rest of my life? And as I've gotten to know Andrea over the last couple of years of being the lead pastor here at New Hope, I've seen a calling on her life, a calling that's been affirmed by her family and close friends. And upon my invitation, Andrea has said yes to coming onto our, our pastoral team as an assisting pastor in an unpaid pastoral role. At her stage of life, many choose leisure and less responsibilities. I'll let you tell, she can tell you what stage of life she's in. <laughs> but Andrea is responding to the call of God in her life to join our pastoral team. She has begun the process of becoming a licensed pastor through Foursquare. And while that is an important step, it does not need to proceed the affirmation and the laying on of hands that we get to do as a church community this morning. Andrea is going to assist in many ways, including helping us develop a more substantial system of pastoral care. And I'm proud to call Andrea my friend and more than happy to introduce you to her as assisting pastor. And I am 
very, very pleased to be a part of this team and to be a friend of yours. Thank you. If you guys um, don't know our team very well, they're kind of really awesome. <laughs> and I'm happy to get to be the old lady on the team. <laughs> so as I stand here and I'm making public the commitment I already have made, I'm really sobered by the responsibility. It's kind of scary. It is, it's a big deal. And um, I'm also very excited about the possibility. So what stage of life I'm in, I'm 59. I've been coming to New Pope since I was in my early 30s. We raised our kids here. One of them is here today, right there. <laughs> and one of our kids was uh, on staff here and is a pastor. So it's, that, that's been all really good. But I've never, in all the wonderful leadership we've had, I've never been more excited about what God's doing here than right now. And it's because all of you are the church and so many people have decided that they're all the way in. Yeah. That makes a big difference. You can have a couple people all excited. It's not the same. So we had a cool story in Rooted last week and it was about a mouse gets on the bridge with an elephant. And as they're walking across the bridge, the bridge is swaying and creaking and moving and shaking. And when they get to the other side, the mouse looks at the elephant and says, Wow, we really made that bridge shake, didn't we? <laughs> I'm the mouse. You're the mouse. Even Pastor Isaac is the mouse. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing but if you've ever seen the world shake by the Holy Spirit, you're ruined for yeah. anything else. So if you're thinking about going to the Alpha Holy Spirit weekend and you're not sure, do it. Yes. You will never be sorry. I might come ask you something. You'll be invited. Please say yes. Yeah. You will not be sorry. Oh, wow. In the first service, Andrea turned to me when the mouse was talking to the elephant. And she says, wait, you're not the elephant. <laughs> Thank you on many levels, yeah. <laughs> we get to do two things uh, this morning. First, we're gonna pray for Andrea all together here. And then I've asked some specific people to pray over her after the service and continue that. We would invite those people to join us down here to pray over Andrea at the conclusion of the service. And if any of you would like to join us as we continue to pray over Andrea, we're gonna see what the Lord wants to say to her as we lay hands on her and release her to this next season of what God has called her to. So, but let's do it now. Would you extend your hand towards Andrea as a way of affirming and being for her Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? You saw that the world needed an Andrea Larson and you have provided an amazing path for her to grow into this child of yours that loves you, that loves your church, that is such a gift to the people around her. And now as she's crossing over this next threshold and saying yes, we ask that as you have already, you would continue to equip her and empower her with the Holy Spirit. 
We pray that from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, everywhere she goes and every interaction that she has and every leadership decision that she makes and every person that she recruits, there would just be a sweet presence of the Spirit working out those relationships. I pray that you would surprise her with the fruitfulness that comes as a result of her putting her hand to this plow. I pray that you would continue to overwhelm her with your love, with great gratitude, I pray that in any moment of discouragement that she would take upon herself to get back to what has brought her here, her dedication, her faith in you, her love for you. And Lord, as many have been a part of praying for her, praying for her in the time of her illness, and many got to be a part of that amazing healing story, I pray that we would now see ourselves as a part of this next phase of her story, coming alongside in prayer and affirmation and encouragement, standing with her, saying yes, getting outside of our own comfort zones for the sake of your work that she will be leading here at New Hope Foursquare. We thank you for the Larson family, their faithfulness here over the long term. We pray that there would continue to be fruit as a result of the many seeds that they have planted as a family. We bless Andrea. We affirm this next season of her life. In Jesus' name, amen.